In today's episode, I'm bringing you guys into a very personal glimpse at my life. And all of us that have had kids have our own unique birth stories. And those are just fun to talk about as moms, right? Well, I've never actually shared mine on here because A, it's very unconventional, the approach we took. Um, But B, I just didn't know if anybody would be interested. So I threw it on social media and overwhelmingly, you guys were like, yes, share your stories. And what I love about our stories is just, A, obviously they're very personal, but the way the Lord showed up in miracles every time. He had us take a very unconventional path of delivering our children at home with no doctor intervention. And side note, I do not ever recommend that people take the path we took just to say, hey, I like what they did and I want to do it too. I always recommend you guys use wisdom, follow your doctor's counsel, and listen to the Holy Spirit and do what's best for your family. So this is our story and how God showed up to bring my kids into the world, and I hope it encourages you. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. This episode in no way replaces sound medical advice or the treatment of your doctor. It is simply the sharing of my story and how the Lord worked in our lives. It's meant to inspire, not to replace medical advice. Hey guys, I'm so happy to be back with y'all. We didn't have an episode last week and I always just feel like I miss you guys when we don't have an episode, even though it's just me talking and I don't hear your voices. I still, I see that you're listening and I hear your comments on social media. And so I miss you guys when we miss an episode. So I'm glad to be back. It is the end of March and March I was celebrating all things life and, you know, spring, you know, spring, Easter is coming and chicks and all those little things. And so I wanted to end with, end the month with my birth stories, which I didn't actually, I didn't plan on doing, but then I put some photos on social media and asked if anyone would be interested in hearing the story. And there was such a response. I was like, well, okie dokie. And I know a lot of you are pregnant or having babies or you have had babies. And, um, If you're pregnant or you're looking to have a baby, let me encourage you with this one thing. No birth story is exactly the same. None. There may be elements that are similar woven through different stories, but everyone's birth story is unique. So if you hear anything in my stories that would make you go, oh my gosh, that's so scary or that's so amazing or whatever, just realize God is crafting a unique birth story for you and for your children and it will be part of your testimony of God's goodness in your life. And so I just want to lead with that because I, when I was pregnant, I used to get horrified at people sharing their stories and it would give me serious anxiety until the Lord pointed that out. And I was like, you're right, Lord, none of their stories will be mine. So it was reassuring. Also, life hack section, I'm going to share with you um, some simple ways to make and break habits. Habits is, you know, part of what makes our lives successful um, or unsuccessful. And so it's just, I've been reading a book about this and they have some incredible simple pointers in there that I thought I would share. Okay, so jumping into these birth stories. So let me lead with the premise and, and some principles that guided us. So I always encourage when I come across a Christian woman who is pregnant, looking to get pregnant, and looking to deliver soon, I always encourage her with this. I say, listen, 
When you have a pregnancy, God cares a lot about bringing life into the earth. He cares a lot about it. And so I always encourage you to pray and ask the Lord for a word for your pregnancy and delivery. And I did this with each of my kids. And I did it because, um, actually I did it, it kind of happened accidentally with the first one, which I'll get into, but it set a precedent for each one. And those promises became like weapons that brought miracles when things got difficult. So I'll dive into that. But you should know I have four boys and uh, we had all of our boys at home. Now, this was not how I anticipated having my children. I grew up very traditionally. You go to the doctor, you get vaccines when you're born, you uh, have the doctor tell you exactly what to do. You follow their instructions and boom, you have a baby. Well, I remember I was pregnant with my first one. My husband and I had gotten married in 05. And then like four or five months later, we found out we were pregnant. I was young. I was like 22. I felt like a baby. Um, And so I was a little bit blindsided by this pregnancy. So I remember it was like around month two or three, Hurricane Rita hit and we had to evacuate for weeks at a time. And I couldn't find a doctor to take me. And um, when I got back, the doctors were all booked up and I just was having a heck of a hard time. So I was at month four maybe and still haven't hadn't been to the doctor. And I was praying about it and I was like, Lord, I need to find a doctor. And I was also kind of panicking as the reality of delivery was kind of settling on me. And I was like processing with the Lord that I was pretty much scared to death about the idea of delivering a baby. And I remember I was on a walk with him. Birds were chirping. It was a beautiful day, but man, the anxiety in my heart was turning and churning. And I remember processing with the Lord. And now he had been kind of speaking to us about that time, maybe for a couple of weeks through a friend um, about having a home birth. And my husband came to me a couple weeks prior and said, hey, Jen, I think we should have our babies at home. And I looked at him and I was like, easy for you to say, you don't have to spit out this kid. You are crazy. I don't think so. And so I totally blew him off. Well, we had these other friends who had had a home birth and the Lord had really spoken to them about just how special of an experience it was and how he wanted them to take that path. And so they were sharing their experience, shared a couple books with us, and I was reading about it. And I was starting to feel like the Lord was trying to pull my thinking and and pull me into that direction of a home birth. But my brain was so stuck traditionally, like that's not an option. Now my mom had had a home birth with my younger brother. So it wasn't a totally foreign concept. And I remember being there, watching him get born. It was pretty awesome and powerful. Um, But I was like, yeah, maybe for my fourth kid, definitely not for my first one. That's crazy. So as I was on that walk, The Lord had already kind of been percolating the idea in our hearts, and I felt the pull towards a home birth, but hadn't settled in my heart yet. Um, I was still nervous, and it felt a little reckless, to be honest. And so I remember the Lord listening to me as I shared how scared I was about delivering the baby, and I was picturing the hospital and just how cold it is in there and people everywhere and lights above your head and all this stuff. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Jenilee, He said, if you take the route of the spirit, which is obedience, you'll have the reward of the spirit. But if you take the route of the flesh, which is leaning on human understanding, then you'll have the route of the flesh. And so I remember him speaking that to me. And I remember it settled in my heart like, wow, God, 
maybe asking us to have home birth. And so I literally had to relinquish holding on to the idea of doing it my way. And I said, okay, Lord, then if the route of the spirit for us and obedience for us is a home birth, then I need you to walk with me and give me peace. And I will do what you're asking and I will trust you for the results. And y'all, this peace washed over me, such an overwhelming peace that suddenly I was not afraid of delivery anymore. And I, I was excited about the experience that we might have. So that was the promise the Lord gave me for my first son, which was take the route of the spirit, you'll have the reward of the spirit. Take the route of the flesh, you'll have the reward of the flesh, which is straight out of scripture, right? So I get to my delivery date. Well, I get to my due date and he is not coming. <laughs> my mom came, my mom left, <laughs> no baby came. So two weeks later on Mother's Day, I start having contractions. And so I stayed home from church that day and just had contractions throughout the day. And by the time the evening came, they started to get more consistent. So this is a Sunday, mind you. My contractions were irregular and inconsistent for like two days. My son was born Tuesday morning. So I actually labored for like 72 hours. I actually started contracting on Saturday, but I didn't realize I was having contractions until my friend pointed it out that evening. Sunday, they were legitimate contractions. Monday, I'd been laboring all day, but contractions were come and go. Now I had a lot of back and tailbone labor because we didn't know my son was not turned correctly. So he's in the wrong position. Um, and so when it comes time to start pushing, I, I went ahead went to the bedroom and I was standing at the end of the bed because laying down was not comfortable. And I remember, uh, I was pushing it and I pushed for three and a half hours. Y'all, I think a lot of that was fear in my heart, but some of it was, I had not done well exercising with that pregnancy and so my muscles were totally untoned if your kegels your kegel muscles which is your pelvic floor muscles if they're toned your contractions will be more effective because your body a toned muscle will hold its shape but an an untoned muscle will not hold its shape so when your body is contracting and opening your pelvic floor then if those muscles are toned it'll stay open so contraction and and a delivery progresses more quickly. Well, I was totally out of shape. And so it took forever. So I'm finally pushing my son. So y'all get this. My husband, my husband was looking and watching. I was like, babe, I feel like his head is right there. Um, actually, no, even before we got to that, I felt like my tailbone was in the way, like it was blocking him somehow. It felt like he was being blocked. And so my husband, I said, Stephen, I'm pushing, but it feels like my tailbone is blocking him. I'd been pushing for hours. And so Stephen said, okay. So he laid his hand on my stomach and he commanded the baby to move and get in the right position. And like a few seconds later, Benjamin or Judah moved and got into a different position and my pushing was more effective. And so as I'm pushing and it I had never had a baby, so I didn't know what it was supposed to feel like. And I could tell that his head was low and coming out kind of, but he wasn't out yet. And so Stephen was looking and he goes, well, it looks like you're pooping. And I was like, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, it looks like you're pooping. Why don't I walk you to the toilet? Okay, first rule, you don't go sit on the toilet after you're pushing a child because you're probably gonna push your kid into the toilet. So I go to the toilet 
And I sit down, and as soon as I sit down, must have been the position or something, I had this incredible urge to push. And so I, I, I get into this push mode, and I scream at my husband. I'm like, and I grab the towel rack on the wall to brace myself. I literally ripped the towel rack out of the wall, y'all. <laughs> I was in Hercules mode. And I yelled to my husband. I was like, that's not a poop. That's the baby. Get me off this toilet. And so I literally, he's like, oh, okay. And so he, he, he walks me back through the bathroom, which is like this eternal long bathroom across the bedroom with my kid's head coming out. I'm like, how did I even do that? I get to the end of the bed. I push. My husband catches him and he's delivered. Well, you know, we cut the umbilical cord, all this stuff. Well, my, my placenta was still in me. And you know, that's normal for 15 or 20 minutes, but I was having contractions. My placenta was not coming. It was stuck. And normally in the hospital, this would be cause for an emergency C, not a C-section, but a DNC, which is where they scrape the uterus very carefully to remove the placenta. So like major surgery. Well, the placenta stayed in me for like 10 hours. And it's a good thing I didn't know all of the logistics. Now, I had done a lot of research. I had done a lot of studying. Um, we did have a woman there who'd had home birth, was um, training to be a midwife. And so we had help there. We weren't totally naive and stupid. But um, but I didn't realize just how severe the situation was that if your placenta stays intact, it still draws blood from the mother's body. But with the baby not attached, then that blood is just pouring out. And so technically, I was, I was bleeding out. And so I remember my husband came in and he looked at me and I was very pale and he was like, something's not right. And I said, yeah, I said, I said, babe, I feel like the life is being drained out of me. It's amazing how intuitive we are about our bodies, right? Because that's literally what was happening. And so I just, I remember having him walk me to the toilet and he tried massaging my uterus from that, from reaching not up into me, but the front of my stomach, just massaging it from the outside. And it was such intense pain. I, I passed out on his shoulder. And um, and so he left me on the toilet as I said, just let me sit here for a while. When I came to it, he went to get me water or something. And I prayed and I said, Lord, you brought this baby to birth. You delivered this baby. You grew this baby. I need you to show us why my placenta is not coming. And you need you need to release it. And the Lord showed me a couple of judgmental attitudes that I'd had in my heart that were so subtle and so fleeting, I didn't even realize I'd had them. But when he brought them to mind, I repented and my placenta fell right out. Now, here's what I think that was about, because throughout that delivery, I had been focused on the belief that I had to have all my spiritual ducks in a row. I had to, if I had to be so careful, if there was any spiritual doors open, that it would sabotage my delivery. And that was due to a book I had read that I think, I think the fear inside of me twisted the messaging of the book. Um, and so really my confidence in that delivery was built on my flesh of me believing that if I had to have my life perfectly clean and in order in order for this delivery to go right. Well, that eliminates the grace of God, the need for the grace of God. That eliminates the role of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction and, and covering us. That that eliminates the completed work of the cross and what he did to cover and pay the price for our sin. And so my belief and confidence was in the wrong thing. So when such a simple, tiny, tiny, tiny little issue 
was what was holding up my placenta, the Lord made a point to me. He said, listen, it's impossible for you to live a perfect life. That's why Jesus came. And he said, you need to, to trust and lean into me because there will always be something in the way. And, and you just need to trust and lean into me and let my grace and my righteousness cover you. And so in that moment, I learned a lot about resting into the grace and the goodness and the righteousness of God. And so I'm trying to consolidate because these stories can get long. And so I'm trying to consolidate the points of them. But so in that delivery, the miracle, God brought my son. He was in the wrong position and the Lord shifted him. My water actually was not breaking. And so I asked my husband to help and he commanded my water to break, laid hands on me, commanded my water to break and it broke about 30 seconds later. And then I was able to, to push more effectively. And then when my placenta wouldn't come, it became just a revelation of like us needing to lean into the God's righteousness. So that sets you up for my second delivery. My second delivery with Levi. Oh, we also name our kids prophetically too. We pray about what their lives will carry, and then we name them accordingly. So Judah's name is is Stephen Judah Samuel, and it means crowned one whose praise God hears. And my son is a phenomenal guitarist and leads worship all over Southeast Texas, and he's been hired by a lot of different groups to do that. And so we see just that worship anointing on his life already. Levi is Levi Evan Samuel, which means um, uh, in covenant with a good God, uh, in covenant with a good God, what does Samuel mean? Oh, with a good God who hears me or something like that. Samuel is like God hears. And so he is a very attached relational person. And in his birth, when I found out I was pregnant, I, of course, had all the horrible flashbacks to my first one and was like, Lord, I got the word in me like crazy. I was like, I'm getting the word of God in me. These are the things I'm believing for. And so the promise that God gave me for Levi was um, that God's goodness would be seen in my labor and delivery, which is awesome because that's part of what his name means. And so sure enough, the Lord put the word in me. And when I went into labor with Levi, it started to get intense. Now, my first one was extremely intense because it was back and tailbone labor because Judah was in the wrong position and it lasted for days. So when the second one started to get intense, that PTSD kind of flared up and I started to panic a little bit. But then it was like my spirit rose up in me with like a fervor and said no. And I remember I was laboring in the chair in my living room and my mom had taken Judah to a friend's house so he wasn't climbing on me anymore. And I was feeling desperate and I was at that moment of decision of overwhelm, like was fear and panic going to overwhelm me? And, and my spirit rose up and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you are not man that you should lie to me. You have promised me that your goodness would be seen in my delivery. You have promised me that this would be a peaceful delivery. And so I need you to honor your promises and honor them right now because I am in labor and this is intense. <laughs> and so sure enough, when I, I challenged, if you would, challenged the Lord or held him to his word, um, then the Lord appeared at my side. He appeared at my right side as I was sitting in the recliner. And as he stood there next to me, it was Jesus, he stood there next to me and with his left hand, he was stroking my forehead. And with his right hand, it was like larger than life. It was this, the size of my stomach. And he laid his right hand over my stomach 
with each contraction. And when he did that, my contractions would soothe by about 50%. So I could feel the work of the muscles, but not the intense pain. Um, there was discomfort from what my body was doing, but it wasn't pain. It was not terrifying or scary. And so for the rest of that labor, I sat there, I breathed through it. I just kept my mind fixed on the Lord. And when it started to get intense, I would look over to where Jesus was standing next to me and he would lay his hand on my stomach and my contractions would soothe. And so about the time it was time to really start pushing, I got into the bathtub to kind of relax my muscles. And um, I was not in the bathtub with the first one, but with the second, third and fourth, I did. It was so nice. And um, so I got into the bathtub and we had prayed specifically that I would push for no more than 20 minutes and that my placenta would come in 15 minutes or less. And so sure enough, um, my water had not broken yet because I, w- I had prayed that the Lord would allow me to deliver him in the waters, like in the, in the sack, um, as a sign of the gentle birth. But what, <laughs> what I forgot is that giving birth to a big water balloon is a little more uncomfortable than a baby that you can kind of like form around. So that was a little uncomfortable. So we commanded my water to break. My water broke. And um, listen, you guys, the, the authority that you carry as a parent over your body is incredible. As a parent over that child and as a person over your own body, you have authority to speak to your body. And so that's what we did. We exercised our authority over my body. Stephen did too. And um, so he commanded my water to break. It broke. And then sure enough, I pushed just a few times and Levi came out and he was my biggest baby, but that was my best delivery. And then within 15 minutes or less, maybe 12 minutes, my placenta was delivered. And, um, and now mind you, the promise was your goodness, that God's goodness will be seen in my labor and delivery. So the next day I was looking through some pictures. My mom was there for that one. And, and I was looking through her pictures and I saw Tiffany, our midwife on the phone standing in the bathroom, sobbing, like her face was like ugly cry. And I I was like, oh no, did she get bad news while I was in labor? And I didn't know. And so I called her and I was like, Tiffany, what happened? I saw this picture and, and I just, I can't, I can't imagine that you might've been with us while you had something else going on. And she said, oh no, Jen. She said, I was crying because I was overwhelmed with how touched I was by how good God was to you guys in this labor. Cause she'd been with us in our last one and she saw the struggle of the last one. And so she saw this one and she, I'd, I'd emailed her all the promises that we were believing for, for the birth and stuff. So she could be praying into agreement with those. And so she said, Jen, every promise that you guys felt God made to you and every, every belief, every, uh, scripture that you were standing on, God honored all of those prayers and everything that your faith was set on. He honored it and his goodness was so overwhelming. I could not help but cry. And I was like, oh my gosh, that right there was the fulfillment of the promise that God spoke to me for that delivery. So with Judah's, the promise was his goodness or take the route of the spirit. You have the reward of the spirit, route of the flesh, reward of the flesh. So with Judah's, the reward of the spirit was that God intervened supernaturally in the, in the risks and the dangers of Judah's delivery. And with Levi, his goodness would be seen showed up because she was literally crying over God's goodness. And so Levi's delivery was definitely, um, I say my easiest, it was like a 12 hour labor and it just went very, very 
beautifully. So Benjamin comes along and I was eight or nine months pregnant with Levi when I got pregnant with Benjamin. No, sorry. Eight or nine months nursing. He was out. He was that old when I got pregnant with Benjamin. So they were pretty back to back. Um, But I remember with Benjamin's, the Lord gave me three promises for his. And let me see if I can find them. Um, Judah's promise, Levi. Okay, Benjamin's promises. There was three of them. First one was, my grace will be abundant to you. Um, Second one was, I will be at your right hand, which is actually what Benjamin's name means, is right hand helper. Um, And then the third one was that Benjamin would be born into the glory of God. And so sure enough with Benjamin, uh, I, it was funny. I was at the grocery store when I went into labor. He was also late. All my boys were late. Benjamin was 11 days late and Tracy came and picked up Judah and Levi. We just had a sense that we were going to have him that night. Stephen just intuitively was like, I think we're having him this tonight. Let's have Tracy pick up the kids. So she picked up Judah and Levi and took them for two nights And I was out grocery shopping trying to make sure we'd have what we needed if I was tied up with a baby the next few days. And I remember walking into HEB and I got hit with a contraction right as I walked in the door. So picture this, this big, huge pregnant woman waddling into HEB. I step inside the door, a contraction hits me. So I stop, I put my hands on my stomach and I like breathe through it. I was like, I just like breathe through it. picked up my head to push my cart and keep going. Everyone had stopped at the, all the registers. They'd all stopped and they were staring at me, eyes buggy. And they were like, everyone's holding their breath. Like, is she going to have that baby right here? <laughs> it was so funny. Anyway. So I, I waved at them all. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. It's passed. I'm good. I'm just going to get my grocery shopping done. And so everybody went about their business. So it was really funny. Anyway. So I finished my grocery shopping, came home, and I'm going to read this to you because I, apparently I wrote it up and, uh, and it's pretty fascinating. I don't remember these details. But I said, I was out shopping when my contractions started to hit and they were irregular from 7 to 10.30. That's on Thursday. Then they ceased, so I went to bed, but not before asking the Lord if this was going to be another false alarm. I'd had a lot of false alarms with Benjamin. He consoled me that my contractions would start again after 3 a.m. and that I needed to get rest while I could. So I did, and sure enough, at 3.22 a.m., my contractions started again and woke me up and were about 30 minutes apart until about 6.30 in the morning. Then they were about 8 to 12 minutes apart till 9.30. So it kind of went in three-hour increments with Ben. Then they spread out again, and so I showered and asked the Lord about my contractions, and he said, they'll speed up again tonight. Just rest while you can. So for the most of Friday, I, I pretty much just rested. I had contractions here and there, but nothing super intense. And then about 7 p.m. on Friday, they started getting close again, about 10 or 15 minutes apart. So at 9.45 on Friday night, I got into the tub to ease the intensity of them. It helped, but they were still strong contractions getting a job done. They were pretty intense. And then the longer I was in the tub, the closer they got until they were about two to four minutes apart. So by then, they were so intense, breathing through them wasn't helping a whole lot. (laughs) And so... So I started praying in tongues out loud. So at some point, we actually had three people that the Lord put on our heart to come be at this birth. Um, One was Morgan uh, Reedy then. Her name is Morgan uh, Castile now. I don't remember who the other two were, actually. There was two more. I don't remember their names. But 
I felt like each one of them kind of represented each of the promises that the Lord had given me. So bless Morgan's heart. Every time she hear me screaming in tongues through a contraction, she would like quietly cry for me in the living room. She's so compassionate. And so with Benjamin, his labor, all their labors are, are like their personalities. Judah's was long, long and slow and required some patience. And he's kind of easygoing and walks very slowly. Levi's was like, kind of followed the rules and um, was sweet. It was very sweet and it was very like touching. And that's just how he is. He's very sweet, very touching. He follows the rules, even though, you know, he's, he can be a little ornery, but he follows the rules. Benjamin is short and intense. And that's how his labor was. All of my contractions and, and all my dilation rather happened in like three hours. And so that's why they were so intense because a short labor is, is usually a more intense labor. Um, but anyways, I was pretty nervous about pushing because I'd done this twice now and pushing is, is kind of, um, some people love it. They think it's very relieving for me. I was like, Oh God, here it comes. And so I called prophet Phil's wife, Connie, telling her that I was nervous about pushing. And, um, so she said, well, we're going to pray the peace of God all over you and that three good pushes and he's out. I said, okay, I can agree with that. So sure enough, around 1230, about three hours into real labor, I started pushing, and then with my first push, my water broke. My second push, he was crowning, and his head was coming out. And by the third push, it just kind of like, he just kind of eased out. He was actually really easy delivery because he was so tiny. And then, so three pushes, he was out. He was seven and a half pounds, 19 inches, and he was just beautiful. And it was so funny. Every time we'd take a picture, he'd stick his little tongue out. It was so cute. And so the promises that the Lord had given me for Ben was my grace will be abundant, which it was. I mean, like pushing him out and getting through all that. Just the Lord was so gracious. Um, I will be at your right hand. I did feel like the Lord was just walking with me through it, especially, you know, when the contractions were irregular. He was right there to tell me how things were going to progress and how it was going to be. And the last one was that Benjamin would be born into the glory of the Lord. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I have any like distinct moments where I was like, oh, the glory of God is here, you know, but Hey, I was praying in tongues a whole lot and that stirs up angels. So we'll just, we'll just believe for that one. But I do know that when he was born, the atmosphere was one of peace and completion. And I'm just credit that to the presence of God being there. The atmosphere was really sweet. And so that was Benjamin's. And so we cut the umbilical cord and, um, and my, Placenta came out just right. And so Shiloh, oh Lord Jesus. So here's the last one. These are more miracles with this one. So Shiloh's, if any of y'all know Shiloh, he is like all over the place. He's, he's very creative. He's very out of the box. He's very, you know, you never know what you're going to get from moment to moment. So his delivery was <laughs> a lot like that. Now, when I was pregnant with him, I prayed for a word. And the word the Lord gave me for this one was, um, I will overcome. And I was like, um, can we do a do-over? <laughs> can I get another promise, please? That one's kind of intimidating. And so, but sure enough, that's the Lord, the word the Lord gave us is I will overcome. And there was a reason for it. And so now I thought Shiloh was a girl. We both thought it was. And then Stephen had a missions trip planned. And um, so we needed to know the timing. So we needed to know how far along I was. So we went and got an ultrasound, uh, at, you know, just a little sneak a peek place over here. And the lady at the front desk, I remember her asking, she goes, so what do you think it is? 
and I said, oh, it's a girl. This one's a girl. It's so different, and we're just confident this one's a girl. And she was like, okay, what does daddy think? Daddies are usually right. And I said, he thinks it's a girl too. And she looked over at Steven and she goes, is it? And he looked at her and he goes, and he looked at me. And then he goes, actually, I think it may be a boy. And I whipped my head around and I looked at him like, excuse me? And I said, what? And he goes, well, I, I, was, I was praying this morning and I felt like the Lord told me it, it may be a boy. And I said, I was stunned because here we are halfway through the pregnancy and I was all prepped for a girl. And so I, I looked at him and, and the girl's name was going to be Shiloh Grace. And so I looked at him and I said, you didn't think to tell me and prepare me for that? And he goes, well, I, it was just this morning. So I was like, oh, and so my heart kind of sunk because he doesn't say stuff like that unless he's pretty confident. So we go into the, the ultra tech room she does the ultrasound and the heartbeat was like 145. And if you guys have had babies, you know, if the heartbeat's in the 140 to 150 range, it's usually a boy. 160s to 170s is a girl. And that's because girls carry less oxygen in their blood, 20% less. And so they, they have to pump harder to get more oxygen. And so when I saw that it was 145, I threw my head back and I knew it was a boy. And I just cried. And I was like where's my girl and I was honestly I was really heartbroken and um and so sure enough it took me I and, and my first thought was like where's my motivation to push like that's what I said I said where's my motivation to push I wanted my girl and so truth be told I had to give myself the time and the space to grieve what felt like a legitimate loss because in my heart I was having a girl and I had been dreaming about a girl for years. And so to have had a boy, I didn't want him to feel unwanted. So I knew I needed to process it. And so I gave myself time and space not to feel bad about feeling bad. And I, I let myself grieve when I had thoughts that, oh, it's a boy, it's not a girl anymore. And I felt like I was missing out on a girl. I would let myself cry and I'd let myself have all those emotions. And as I did, it took me about a week to kind of acclimate to the idea of a boy. And then I started to get excited. So that's when I knew that my heart had, had processed. And so anyway, so when I went into labor with Shiloh, it was, he was actually never dropped into my, into my birth canal. And he was sideways in my stomach. And um, let's see, let me see if I can find, he was due on March 8th. And of course, I didn't have him till March 14th. So he was late as well. And let's see, I was, I was really dreading labor. I was dreading labor and delivery again, but I did have this promise from the Lord. And so um, I'm, I'm skimming my notes here real quick. I remember we went into labor and my contractions with him were kind of some back and tailbone contractions again. They felt ineffective. It felt like it was pulling my back, not pulling my cervix. And so I remember, you know, just doing different things to try to adjust my body. I knew he wasn't in the right position. I could tell he was sideways. And so with that, I just put my hands on my stomach and I said, Lord, you said you would overcome. You need to get him in the right position and make him ready for delivery. Um, and so I just, I did different things, bouncing on a ball, you know, all fours, trying to get in different positions. Of course, my husband, he's like, well, you don't need me. I'm going to bed. So he went to bed. So I did most of this by myself, which 
don't tell anyone, but he did that with most of the deliveries. And so finally I was like feeling a little lonely. And so I woke him up. He's like, what, what, what can I do? And I said, you can at least stay up and pray for me. (laughs) Like, why are you sleeping when I'm over here working my tail off to have our kid? And so I finally get in the bathtub with him and, um, we were getting closer and closer to the need for pushing. And I said, actually, I feel like there's more to this story. I had, I had done a lot of reading and studying in this delivery about what would it be like to have a baby in the garden of Eden? Like what was God's original design? Because he gave them the command to be fruitful and multiply before sin came in. And so I spent a lot of time in this pregnancy praying about God, what would it look like to give birth in the garden? Pain is not part of the garden. And so I really wanted to inherit what God's original design was. And so the morning of the 13th, Shiloh was like a month or a month, a week late by then. I woke up and I just felt in my heart, okay, we're having a baby. So I called Stephen and said, what do you think we have this baby today? We need to have this kid. I can go into labor this evening, deliver it in the night, or by the time the kids wake up and be done with it all. He said, okay. And so by the afternoon, there was no action. The baby still hadn't dropped and was still sideways in my stomach. So I wasn't sure it would happen. Um, so Stephen came home from work and said, okay, what's our plans for tonight? I said, um, hopefully have a baby. He said, okay. He said, oh yeah, Josh Beck wanted to come hang out for a bit. And I said, oh, I had a dream a few days ago that Josh was here when I went into labor. Sure, have him come over. And so Josh and Cheryl came over. She and I went walking the neighborhood to try to help my body get into labor. And so we were all eating pizza and I was sitting in the the recliner in the corner and sure enough contractions started happening so we we hung out we visited for a while because I knew by then like hey this happens for a while for a long time let's at least enjoy some company and so as the contractions got intense enough that I needed to breathe through them we finally said okay guys thanks for coming over we're gonna have a baby and they're like okay bye and so I was eating pizza whatever and um sure enough the contractions got more intense so it was it was the evening time the kids were in bed um, by then. And so the kids were at the house. And so after going through the night, trying to find different positions and stuff like that, I, um, let's see, it says, little did I know that when you're in labor, don't lay down. Oh yeah. I did try laying down and resting, but it makes the contractions more intense. And so I went and sat in the recliner again, had Stephen pray over me and my heart was racing a lot for whatever reason. I don't know. Someone maybe can tell me why my heart was racing. Um, maybe that's normal. I don't know. But so Stephen prayed over me. I got moving, got the baby moving. And uh, let's see, I was so sleepy, but I couldn't sleep because the contractions were two to five minutes apart. Stephen checked me and my dilation was minimal. So again, I fought off the feeling of discouragement because I'd been laboring for hours through the night. And so again, the Lord whispered to my heart, I will overcome. I laid in my bed, which only intensified my contractions. And as I laid there, I Googled about effective positions and it said, It slows the dilation to lay in bed. So get up. (laughs) So I went back to the tub. By then it was 3 a.m. I was exhausted and these contractions were still quite a bit in my back and I needed to know that this was going to work. Every time I had a contraction, I felt it pulling my back instead of my stomach. So I closed my eyes and looked in the Lord's face. He put one hand on my lower back and one on my stomach and he caused them to shift from my back to my stomach. And then I felt the dilation pulling so good. At least these contractions could be fruitful. So for the rest of my labor, I continued to look to the Lord like I had with Levi to persuade my labor out of my back and into my stomach. 
I kept praying, meanwhile, about if the baby should move positions as I knew he was still sideways. I didn't feel like there were any hindrances spiritually that were causing him to be misaligned, and neither did Stephen. So we just rested into the Lord's promise again that somehow he would overcome even a wrongly positioned baby. About 4 a.m., I finally embraced the fact that this was real labor despite, despite the obstacles of the baby not being dropped or in the right position and my slow dilation. So I sent a text to my friends to please pray for our labor. About 5.30 in the morning, I called Tracy and Tiffany to come. Tiffany was our um, attendant who had been at all of our births. Tracy was my best friend. To let them know that we would need to make plans for someone to keep their kiddos because we would need them to come over soon. Both of them had a challenge finding someone. And so it wasn't about until about 7 a.m. that Tiffany showed up. And I was mentally prepared that we would have to do this without Tiffany. And so in my heart, it was just me laboring in the bathtub somewhere in the middle of the night, maybe six in the morning or something. It was just me. And it looked like it was going to be just me and Stephen. And I remember the Lord came to me and spoke to me. And I said, Lord, we can't find anyone to come. And he showed me that he was going to be attending our birth for us. And he said, look, Jen, he said, you've chosen the garden. And I said, what? And he said, in the garden, he goes, who do you think would have delivered Eve's babies? He said, Joseph and me. He said, I would have been the midwife. Joseph would have delivered. He said, we would have delivered her babies in the garden. He said, you've chosen the garden. It's you, Stephen, and me. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. But then in my heart, I was kind of like, well, who's going to take pictures? <laughs> and so thankfully, Tiffany showed up at seven. And when I asked the Lord about it, he was like, well, baby, you wanted someone to take pictures. <laughs> and I was like, this is true. And so we called my in-laws around 6 a.m. and let them know we were laboring and that we would need the boys to be picked up. So they came around 6.30 and had them out of the house by 7. I was breathing through contractions pretty hard by then, but I was still in good sorts when Tiffany arrived. However, shortly after she arrived, she commented that she saw me switch from my normal self to my serious mode, and she knew pushing would start soon. Steven checked my dilation, and I was still probably around a 5 or a 6. You're supposed to be at a 10 to start pushing. But the baby was still high and sideways, and I was starting to breathe through the urge to push. So my body basically was telling me it's time to push, while my body was also not ready to push. <laughs> and so it started subtly, and over the course of the hour, it grew in intensity. So around 7.30, my classic phrase that always... Uh, leaves Tiffany laughing, came flying out of my mouth at Stephen, don't touch me. And she laughed because apparently I've said it with every birth because Stephen would be in there trying to check for my dilation. And when I would fuss at him and slap him back, be like, don't touch me. She was like, that's when I knew this is right before delivery. And so it's about the time that pushing starts and Stephen's trying to investigate all of that. And as the contraction eased, I looked at him in total exhaustion and said, I don't think I can do this much longer. I'm so tired. And that's when I knew that the hour was close because the I can't do this anymore always comes right before the baby's arrival, just before labor turns. And this is true for life too, guys. About the time you want to give up, you're at the point of delivery. And so don't give up. And so I kept breathing and he said, uh, and I was breathing through all these contractions to push. I didn't, I wasn't ready to push. And so the Holy Spirit is like 745 now. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, he said, baby, you're going to have to push at some point. And I said, oh, he was so compassionate. 
And I, he said, you can't breathe through all of these. And I whined at him. I said, but I don't, I don't want to push. I'm not all the way dilated. You'll have to make the urge to push unmistakable so that I'll just have to do it. Y'all, the Lord took me seriously. The next push was eight minutes long contraction. And I did push. I had to push. There was no getting around it. I screamed. I cried out. I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to Stephen. I just screamed to get that baby out. And um, and it, it, not scream because it was like a torment. It was just the muscles were, were buckling down that hard. And I'm thinking it's probably because my body was trying to reposition him as well. That's probably why it was so long. But the Lord heard my prayer. And I said, you're going to have to give me a contraction that I can't breathe through. And that's what he did. And so sure enough, that very long, real contraction got him down into the birth canal, broke my water. Then he crowned. Then his head was out all in one push, guys. And then as his head was hanging out, Stephen was trying to check to make sure the umbilical cord was not around his neck, which usually you do because it's like a contraction. The head is out. Breathe. You have a, a rest, and then with the next contraction, you get the shoulders out. No, no, no. This contraction was still squeezing the crap out of me. And so I, like, smacked Stephen back. I grabbed the baby's head, and I pulled him out myself because I was like, I screamed so loud, get him out! So loud, I went hoarse. And Stephen was like, don't touch him. Be gentle. Just wait. And I was like, I don't care what the hell you're saying right now. This baby is getting out of me. And so I just pulled him out myself, all Hercules. And so he came out just fine. He was not injured. I was relieved that he came out. The first thing I did, I didn't even look at him. I just threw my head back and was like, I never want to do that again. <laughs> and uh, anyways, but sure enough, God was so faithful. I mean, you guys, I hope I'm not scaring anybody who's trying to have a baby. Listen, I was at home with like no assistance except for the Holy Spirit. And he was so good and he was so gracious and everything turned out well. Y'all listen, I was not fully dilated. Shiloh was not in the right position and he was not, he was sideways. And yet the Lord overcame all those obstacles. And so sure enough, we took him to the doctor as we did with all of our kids right after delivery. And we took him into Dr. Dr. G and he was listening to Shiloh's heart and he had a concerned look come over his face. And he started talking me through it and he goes, okay, I hear what sounds like a pretty distinct murmur and irregularity. And he said other words. I kind of got tunnel tunnel hearing at that point because my head started spinning. But he was saying some out congenital heart failure and all these things. He started throwing out things that could possibly be if what he suspects is wrong is wrong. And so sure enough, I kind of started to go into a little bit of a panic. But at that time, the Holy Spirit brought his promise back up into my heart. I will overcome. And so I said, okay, Lord, we're going to trust you to overcome this. And so the doctor said, bring him back in three days. I want to listen to him again because sometimes with birth, they've just gone through a lot. Sometimes the rhythm sorts itself out. But this is a pretty severe one. So I'm, I'm kind of concerned. So bring him back in three days. I said, okay. We took him home. We prayed over him every day. We prayed that promise. We declared that promise over him. And we took him back, I think maybe four or five days later. He said, I don't hear any sign of a murmur. There's nothing. He has a perfect heartbeat. And so we just rejoiced because the Lord touched him. Whatever was wrong, the Lord healed him. 
And we were so grateful. And that's the value of leaning into the Lord for a promise with your labors. Because with each one, with each story, with each delivery, I mean, I pulled on those promises like a leverage point, like an, like an anchor. They anchored my soul when I, instead of, otherwise I would have been floundering about with fear, but having those promises deeply rooted in my heart gave me something to hold on to in confidence that the Lord was on our side. The Lord was fighting for us and he cared about the delivery of these children. And so of course the afterbirth with Shiloh came out just fine and my body recovered. I was quite, quite dehydrated after that one. Um, it took me a few days to get well, well hydrated again, but, um, but everything went smoothly. And so here's the moral of the story. My experiences, as you can see, each story of my own was different. What was consistent in all of them was that the Lord spoke to us and gave us instruction about what we should do. And we did. And in our obedience, he honored our faith and he showed up. And there was definitely times, especially with Judah, um, there was a point in my labor with Judah that after being in labor for two days, I didn't realize I still had eight hours left and that I was going to be pushing for three and a half hours. And I hadn't eaten hardly anything. I was so exhausted and wiped out. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't have strength. I need strength. And so with Judah's, he separated my contractions to be about 45 minutes to an hour and a half apart for eight hours. And that's the length of full sleep REM cycles. And so he was letting me get full REM cycles of sleep because he knew I was going to go into three and a half hours of pushing. And I needed that strength. And so the Lord just walked with us through every hurdle, every obstacle. And, and y'all, I have friends who didn't have home births. They had hospital births and God showed up in, in very similar ways, like showed up, his presence showed up because they had worship music playing and God's presence showed up like a cloud and nurses got saved, you know, and like crazy stuff. And so for me, the walk away is not home birth or hospital birth. That's never what it's about. For me, the bottom line is let the Lord walk with you through this experience and and consult the Lord like he wants to be part of the experience. Invite him into the process. Say, Lord, what promise would you have for me? Is there anything you would want us to do that would make this experience richer, sweeter, more meaningful or whatever? And it could be as simple as have this person be there or have this person not be there or, you know, have this music playing or whatever, you know. And um, even the process of naming the boys was so meaningful. Benjamin Ezra is is his name and his name means um, right hand helper whom God hears and Shiloh Rubin um, I think it's um, behold a son <laughs> the one I have prayed for whom God hears and <laughs> it's just funny and ironic behold a son and we thought he was a girl so kind of ironic there and we kept the same name Shiloh whether it was a girl or a boy but there's my birth stories all all complicated and messy and um and beautiful and sweet and rich and so that's the route we took if anyone has any questions and you want to ask me questions about all that feel free it's been a few years but um I at least for sure have resources I could send you good books and and whatever I would recommend if you are having a birth and you really want to involve the Lord in the process um there's a book called Supernatural Childbirth and it really is not so much about taking crazy risks as it is um, 
decreeing the word of God over the aspects of your birth, like from, you know, making sure that about miscarriage or, you know, different aspects that fear and peace and healthy mom, healthy baby, all the things. Um, So they have tons of scripture in that book that are turned into prayers that you can pray over, over mama, over baby, over the delivery. And so that was my birth experience. So um, I hope it was interesting to listen to. I don't know how great of a storyteller I am, but I hope it was great to listen to. And um, stay tuned because in Life Hacks, I'm going to share with you a couple simple ways to make or break habits um, because habits are the pathways to successful lives. So thanks for listening, you guys. Also, don't forget, uh, April Easter is coming up. I have some fun episodes planned for that. Easter week, the Thursday before Easter, which I think is like the 14th maybe, um, that episode is going to be a celebrity episode. I have an actress who is in Hollywood. She just released a new uh, movie or show. I need to go check it out. Um, but she just got saved. She works with my sister in Los Angeles and I've gotten to meet with her. I've been praying for her for years and she recently got saved and baptized. So she's sharing that store, that story, um, Easter week. And so I'm very excited. Her name is Christina DeRosa. She's been in Blackish and Bad Moms and all kinds of different stuff. So that's going to be a fun episode. But Easter, all of our episodes are built around the idea of salvation and God just stepping in and disrupting our lives with his grace and his love in the best way. So um, check out the merch store also, javawithjenmerch.com. If you haven't been there, you can buy some coffee from my coffee line on there, or you can get a mug cool t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever, fun stuff over there. Otherwise, come follow me on Instagram, Java with Jen, and I'll catch you guys next week. Okay, your life hack for today will help you with those New Year's resolutions that have probably taken a seat on the back burner at this point. (laughs) Hey, but it's It's only a couple months into the year. It is not too late to pick those suckers back up and say, let's give it another run. So experts tell you that in order to establish a new habit, here's a few pointers. First of all, if you can have a habit piggyback on another habit that is already part of your routine, this will make it seem effortless. For example, let's say you want to get better about taking vitamins at nighttime. Put your vitamins near your toothbrush. If you're good about brushing your teeth before bed, put your vitamins near your toothbrush. And then when you go to brush your teeth, your vitamins are right there and you go, oh yeah, I need to take my vitamins. Boom. It's part of your routine. Or if you are thinking, I want to exercise every day, then find a time slot when you're likely to be in exercise or comfy clothes. So maybe in the afternoon after you've gotten home from work, if you put on lounge wear, just slip on some athletic wear instead, squeeze in 10 minutes, 15 minutes of a little hit workout, boom, you're all taken care of. Um, The other pointer is if you want to break a habit, the trick to breaking it is make it more difficult to be able to do. So that's where you have those people who would like take their credit card and they would freeze it in the middle of a block of ice. That way they can't get to it. (laughs) Things like that. Think of a way to make your habit, your bad habit, harder to get to. If it's having too much sugar at home, then go throw away all the sugar and just keep in your cabinets the stuff that would be good to eat. Um, Let's see. 
breaking habit. What are some habits that like cussing? I don't know. Cussing. I don't know what would make cussing harder. Words coming out your mouth is easier all the way around. But maybe take your kid with you everywhere because if your kid is always with you, it'll make you think twice about cussing. Anyways. Okay. So another way to establish a good habit is they say that your new habit, this was a game changer for me. So listen close. Your new habit should not require any more than two minutes of your day to start. Do it for only two minutes, do it consistently, and then once that habit is mastered and is part of your routine and feels natural, then add time to it. So I started doing that with exercise. I was like, you know what, two minutes. I could do two minutes of exercise. That's enough to get your heart rate going and tone a muscle. (laughs) And so I would do two minutes, but on the days when I had a little bit extra, I would stretch that two minutes to maybe 10 minutes. And I would get some kind of exercise in, in the morning before I would leave for work and before I would get ready for work. And that just helped me get into the mindset that exercise is a daily part of my life. Um, So find some ways to do it. A piggyback might be add a 30-minute walk during your lunch break. If you only have a 30-minute lunch break, you know, you can munch on something while you're walking or eat at your desk right before lunch and then take the 30 minutes to walk around the building. Walking doesn't have to be phenomenal like it doesn't have to be speed walking just walking and moving gets your body going so anyways there are some habit breakers and habit tips for you it should take no longer than two minutes until it's mastered and then add more time to it if you're breaking a habit make it hard to do make it hard to get to and that will help uh thirdly if you're trying to build a habit have it piggyback off of another habit that's already established in your routine And it will almost feel like it was effortless. That also counts for like exercise. If you make exercise fun or if you make this new habit enjoyable, you're something like 200 times more likely to go back to it because it triggers the reward sensors in your brain. And our body and our biology is built to repeat those things that feel like they come with a reward. And so... Do something to make exercise fun. Put on your favorite music. Do it in a really beautiful time of the day. Focus your mind on how good you feel after the fact so that even just focusing on that releases that reward sensors. So anyways, there are some little pointers for building better habits into your day. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. You were so kind. If you listened through the whole thing, I'm just impressed because who wants to listen to birth stories for an hour? But if you made it, you're a special kind of person. And I also want to say thank you to my newest sponsor that came on. Deanne has signed up as a monthly sponsor. If you guys want to sponsor the podcast, it really helps me to get equipment. It just helps me support the demands that come with maintaining Um, podcasting and so she signed on as a monthly sponsor so we have half a dozen monthly sponsors now it's such a blessing so if you'd like to do that you can go to patreon.com slash java with jen patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash java with jen and you can sign up there or you can sponsor through the anchor app but i prefer patreon because i can actually connect with you guys better over there so anyways Thanks so much, you guys. I love you. We will see you next week. Stay tuned for all kinds of awesome episodes in April. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. 
Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you will fulfill your greatest destiny one day at a time.